Okay, so welcome everyone, and welcome Jeff, and welcome to Molly. Hello. Good to be here. Hey, everybody. Good to see you both. So today we'll be engaging in an integral review of uh, 2023 in a conversation format. And Jeff, we'd like to start by asking you a series of rapid fire questions. So that means that we ask you uh, questions in quick succession. Namali and I uh, are okay. um, uh, switching roles. And then um, you have about, let's say, ma a maximum of 30 seconds to answer. So, Oh, the... that sounds like fun. Indeed, indeed. So the first question we want to fire at you is, which three most intriguing news headlines grabbed your attention from an integral perspective in 2023? Hmm. Well, probably something along the lines of the economies of the world economy grew, um, that there is um, a uh, epidemic of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that and I don't know, the Israel-Gaza, the war and peace, I suppose, just, and those are categories more than headlines, but if we look at the world, the, it's it's evolving in many ways, but these three catch my attention, just if I have to have three, top three. Yeah, very good. Yeah, those are intriguing, and perhaps we can return to them later. Um Next question is, um, what was the most joyful event for you this year in 2023? What, what provided you, what gave you the most joy this year? Oh, uh, all right. Just because a lot of people who are listening will understand what I'm talking about, my continued development. Aww. I feel like I have, yeah, I feel like, you know, another year, I actually, I, appreciation of life. And mm -hmm. of the heartbreak, of the beauty, of my passing vulnerability and, you know, momentary existence in the larger scheme of things. And really where it's manifested is in, um, <laughs> I was going to say being a better housefrau, because that's what I've been, <laughs> how I've been thinking of myself. But yeah, it's like family and friends and doing stuff and, um, you know, paying attention uh, but also appreciating my life, you know, it, I don't know what the next one's going to be like. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's, you know, sort of a whole moral cascade that happens from what, realizing one's position, one's privilege, the, the role of everybody, how the bodhisattva vow in short, mm -hmm. you know, how happy can you be in a world of suffering, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, but that's the, the, the joy of the moment would be the short answer. Mm. So the next question is what concern? First person. I did first person for so many decades. Uh, you know, <laughs> third person, we, we can't have you escape third person. But, you know, second person, it's a good, um, uh, you know, focus for, you know, five. So, Jeff, the next question is what concerned you the most in 2023? Well, what concerned me the most in 2023? Probably it would be more along the war and peace issue, uh, the Ukraine, uh, Israel, and, you know, that ever present, though diminishing, red strata that, you know, it's funny to see it because it's one of the reasons it's interesting is that Ukraine and Israel are both at least, Israel is, you know, they're aspirationally at least modernist, but they have this red streak, you know, 
And they uh, and the same, you know, and then the Palestinians or Russians or their own kind of strange case developmentally. All of it gets me kind of stirred up. Uh, and, um, and we can talk more about that, but that would be my 30 second answer. Okay. And then my next question to you is, what are two or three other podcasts that you find yourself listening to or watching? Mm-hmm. And if, if it's not a podcast, maybe it's a YouTube channel that you enjoy or, you know, what's something in that way that outside of the daily yeah. vault you navigate to? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's a great question and it points to something i think that is a 2023 continued a meteoric rise of and that is just this media verse where you know i don't know uh, paleontology you know i go to these you know and, and there's these wonderful things now where these creators who are smart and know animation and history and they will create these sh- documentaries on YouTube, and then you can pay them with this little button at the bottom. And, and it's a career. And I love that. I just love it as an emergence. So I watch that kind of stuff. I, I watch Lex Friedman's one I find myself going back to. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just listened to My Name is Barbara, which was 43 hours of audio. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, that was a bit of my media verse this time. But yeah, I like all of that. Uh, I'm, I'm also into um, cars. It's just a hobby of mine. So I like watching uh, YouTubes on particularly car technology, like new models that people are making and reviews of them and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the car thing is probably maybe a little bit new to us. I did not know that oh, really? the Salzman yeah. was into cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm into cars um, as, you know, sort of evolutionary in a way. I, I like the new models. I've been watching these Cybertruck reviews of the new um, Cybertruck that Tesla is putting out. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, just the sort of half-horrified marvel of Elon Musk and, um, you know, and, and what's going on with him i'm actually listening to his bio uh, by walter isaacson and that's very interesting because you know i've done podcasts on him i i might i have argued that he's a spiral wizard and uh, one of the and a genius in many ways uh, but one of his superpowers is um the all the ability to i don't know if it's the ability but the inability to stop uh his red and even despite himself, um, even despite his best intentions, his uh, ability to create chaos and need to create chaos, turns out evolution likes that. I mean, maybe that's another whole discussion too, but. Um. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, Jeff, I, I think one of the things I re- recently discovered was a podcast called War O Graphics, or at least the channels are called War O Graphics, and they produce quite high quality content about uh, all of the conflicts uh, around the globe and in a way that uh, is historically informed and uh, both sidists so um, yeah i love it war in graphics war o graphics as one word war o graphics yeah okay great and uh, they they put out 
at least weekly a sort of a situation room what they call it and they sort of go through all of the uh, current uh, conflicts or potential conflicts so uh, and they go in depth yeah. quite quite a bit so the, the next 30 second question is what surprised <laughs> you the most in 2023 um you know i guess i'd have to say that hamas invasion uh, uh in terms of the politics but also the um if i think the twitter was bought by Elon Musk at the end of uh, October of last year. So that's he's basically run it for a year. Um, the degree to which it's contributed to the evolution of the culture in you know ways good and bad are a pretty pretty impressive. And I think surprising. I mean, I didn't expect that. Right. Uh, this one, you only have, I think, five seconds to answer this next question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so make your prediction. <laughs> Who do you think will win the 2024 U.S. election? Uh, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> you know, that's who came up and we've been surprised before. And, you know, of course, one of the things I've learned is predictions are they're fun, you know, and sometimes you win. It's like Vegas. But who knows? So yeah. in terms of a fun thought experiment, I think something like that would be not surprising. Maybe Nikki Haley. I see that she's, you know, gained in New Hampshire on Trump by, you know, double digits in the last week. And that's fun. You know, that it's fun how the sort of the morphology of like a big a flock of crows, just how the, the consciousness can shift. Uh, and e even Republicans have to say, do we, do we really want to do this again? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah. Well, I okay. secretly hope it's Gavin Newsom as well. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So the next question is, uh, what do you look forward to the most in 2024? Oh, man, just the continued evolution of things. Um, um, so what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, specifically, one of the things that's really impressive to me is just that the virtual world is really just pretty baked in now. You know, it's a real world. People are spending real time there. People are having real conversations there and, you know, real relationships there. You know, and it's just going to continue uh, and with AI and, uh, you know, the, the thing that the new thing that's uh, caught my attention is the virtual girlfriend. It's a new app that is uh, causing all kinds of consternation on Twitter and, and, and the media because it's this buxom babe who is I think you could adjust all sorts of things about her, but she will have this sexy conversation with you and then she'll get all pouty. And then she'll do this, and, it, and it's all these things that are just, it, it, it's like crack to a 14-year-old, you know, or 15-year-old, or the 15-year-old in all of us kind of thing. And there's, I'm sure there's the gay version. So I'm horrified, of course, and everybody's horrified. And now, you know, these kids are going to sink ever deeper, you know, forget, you know, there, there's porn, and but now there's also, you know, a relationship that might pass it the Turing test for a 15, 16 year old, arrested development kind of thing. So there's all these arguments. So as an integralist, 
I, when I'm horrified by something, I notice it. And I, I at least want to argue for the other side. I at least want to say, so what's good about the virtual girlfriend? Because the virtual girlfriend is probably coming. I don't see if there's going to be any elimination of this and more, you know, as we move into smell vision or whatever the fuck we're going to do with technology, you know, with holograms. And so this is the beginning of that. And, you know, maybe there is, maybe there is actual virtual space where people can sort of, I don't know, play, certainly, um, you know, have conversations. It's like when we read a book, we get the download of a brilliant mind and we don't think it's real, but it's really very uplifting and, you know, it's very informative and all of that. Imagine if it's just, you know, somebody, even a, a some sort of a bot that when you have a problem, you tell them and they just give you the best advice that's out there. Or here's what Marcus Aurelius said. Here's what Walt Whitman said. Here's what this one said. You know, just, you know, maybe there is a role for this. And also, it's not like 14-year-old boys have any social skills anyway. So, you know, at least it's some practice. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so, that is scary. Anyway. That is, there's a lot yeah. that is almost scary. And that maybe perhaps leads us uh, well into the next uh, question which is in 2024, what would, if there's anything that with intention you could avoid, what do, what would that be, Jeff? Like, is there anything that you actually feel is something you really want to practice avoiding? Um, well, I, I want to avoid marinating in the crises of the world, honestly, you know, because mm. that's where I uh, normally go. <laughs> and I think so many people do. It's, it's part of it when you talk about the depression of you know modernity and post-modernity really um it's just like you're, you're aware of so much you're aware of everything i think i was telling you namali that my our mutual friend sent me this text about how sad she was about what happened in johannesburg and i thought you know the nuclear meltdown you know what it was a fire in a building in downtown johannesburg and it was horrible for the you know people who were involved but she was depressed by this <laughs> you know, in Denver. And so, you know, it's, you gotta, so I, I'm ever more, I don't know if I'm, I'm avoiding it, but I'm ever more conscious of how I titrate it and just how I relate to it and interface with it. It was this cryptic text, you know, I'm so sorry, sad about the people in Johannesburg. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, what happened to Johannesburg? So I looked it up on the internet. There had been a, you know, so... I don't mean to diminish that. That's right. the thing is that there's just, that's the realization. And, and, and you know, we have this double whammy in post-modernity where the realization of the horror of life on earth, you know, this dukkha, this just un minimally it's unsatisfactory, you know, maximally it's torture, this planet, you know, and, and yet we've lost any hope of God and a redemption and, you know, religion's gone you know, rationalism has just created this materialist wasteland. And so you're left with no solution. In fact, the idea of a solution is even obscene. You know, you, there's something, you know, this is the postmodern dilemma. And more and more people are, you know, sort of moving into it. You know, it's it's a stage of development. It's appropriate because you got to get rid of these, you know, hangs, hang this hangover, <laughs> you know. 
But then there's, I think, this is something I noticed, that there's people coming out the other side, that there's people who are just refusing. You're not refusing. Yeah, they're refusing. I mean, you get sick of the you know, soup you've been swimming in, and they're sick of it, and they want to find a, a positive life, you know? And, you know, so there's this neo, back to the nature, and there's people who are organizing. It's fun to see people organizing on Twitter, it's you, Namali. I mean, you announced to the world that you're putting together a local group of integralists. You know, that's great. You know, something that's non-virtual. And um, and I didn't know that. That's great, you know. So there's people doing things that are swimming against this current of hopelessness. And yet hopelessness is a stage of development, you know. <sighs> Just to add to what you were saying before we go into the next question, it, from my perspective, if I'm suffering and I would know that people across the world would feel my suffering and then to such an extent suffer themselves that it would negatively influence their well-being, I wouldn't want that. So that's always also my, I reflect that back to myself in the sense that I'm not doing anyone any favors by um, debilitating myself through too much suffering in regard to the suffering of others. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Namali, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, just just taking it all in. It's it's true. Yeah. This is uh this is especially interesting um as an Enneagram four, like who actually likes the tragedy sometimes. So it's a good reminder for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's liking the tragedy? Explain that so I can um, um I have think some too. I'll have yeah. some <laughs> well, I think um and we might actually return to this uh in a bit also. Um let's actually hold off that on that because we have a question for you to later come to that is uh verging on this sort of the tragedy and the optimism issue. Uh from an okay, interval good. perspective. Yeah. Do, can I just respond to something I thought of when Lee was talking? Because and then we can go to that. Because Lee, I think you make a, a really important distinction that it's it's like if I'm suffering and I'm laying on my deathbed, I actually want somebody to pay attention to me, but I don't want them to suffer. You know, so I want to be seen. So we want them. To, so if I'm suffering, I I do take um, great comfort in knowing that people are aware of it, uh, and I don't want them to suffer too. You know, so there's an important distinction there, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. So the next question, and, and you actually led us into this uh, somewhat, Jeff, is that what's your 30 second take at the moment at this point in your life on the value of using integral theory? Um, I think it's pretty indispensable to me. Um, it's just, um, first of all, it's, an, it's a name for the way I think. So I'm, I and would I think this way if I didn't know integral theory? No, I don't think so. I think maps really help you to you know to enter and work in territories that you wouldn't otherwise. But I'd still it'd be interesting to know what would happen if who I'd be um, if I hadn't ran across Ken Wilber in integral theory. But I did. First of all, I don't have to have hardened ideas like I used to about the world because I do realize it's a moving thing. And even that's sort of new to me, you know, the last few years. I just naturally take 
multiple perspectives. I'm interested in them. But part of it is, you know, it plays to my fiveness and my, you know, just wanting to know this, that, and, you know, so I can put it all together. And, you know, I, I get, sometimes I get suspicious that I put it together using this map because this is the map I know. And I think that's true. <laughs> but it's still better than any other map I've ever run across. It just is. So I'm, I'm making a stand for that uh, for me. So integral theory is very much alive for me. And more, it's, it's almost like for me, meditation, you know, I did all the years of meditation and meditation retreats and, you know, discipline and all of that. Now, I don't do much of that at all, except that I do feel like I have the fruits of it. Well, so my next question is going to stump you with that, uh, with that answer you just gave, um, which is, what is the greatest drawback of using integral theory? <clears throat> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, using it unskillfully is a drawback, but, um, you know, because you you see people as, uh, uh, what is it, cosmic addresses instead of people. <laughs> so you really do want to see, see through any map to the eyes of the person you're beholding and the karma they bring and the heartbreak they bring. And, you know, it's not easy being human and letting that in, you know, so you want to, uh, and no map, maps will get in the way of that. So, you know, integral can do that. Uh, and also, you know, I think there's a way, and, and, and maybe this is a more honest, practical answer. I think it helps me, it keeps things a little slippery for me. I can just say, well, that's that. You know, those are pre-modern people. Pre-modern people are going to pre-modern. Mm -hmm. And it ain't pretty. And, and so I can slide off of it and not do what I just, you know, argued to at least pay attention, you know, see it. Um, so I think that integral is a, can be a, a means of doing that. and is yeah. for me. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So in 2024, Jeff, if you uh, had to live on a desert island, which three books would you want to take? I would take, well, in terms of books that have changed my life, I don't know which ones I would want to have handy. You know, which ones would I want to have handy? Um, I always thought that um, Shanti Deva's book, I forget the name of it, but I always, when I was reading it in my Buddhist studies, I thought this book I need to take to a desert island if I ever have to take one. So um, it reminds me, I need to look up the Shanti Deva book. I probably have it in my bookcase there from Naropa or Naropa Days in the Mali. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I love, um, you know, I'd be tempted to say the Bible simply because it has so influenced humanity. I, you know, I've always, I have a lot of allergies to it because I'm a, you know, reformed Christian who went through atheism, let's say. Um, and, oh, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass absolutely would take that. Number one, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. And maybe if I thought about it, it'd be a couple other poetry books, like um, Wyslawa Samborska. It's a favorite of mine. And there's something about that that is just timeless. You know, you're entering, through words, you're entering the numinous. You know, you're entering the beyond time and space thing. That's what art does, and that's what poetry does. To hear it. 
Okay, I'm gonna move on to the next question. In 2024, if you had, if Jeff Salzman, if you had no fear, what would you do? <laughs> um, wow. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say I would um, just turn the camera on and just say what I have to say. And um, every day, you know, whether or not I had something to say, it'd be kind of like that exercise in writing where you just keep writing until you actually stumble upon something. Um, and, and you do. There, there's, you know, there's something about getting in the groove and that happens for me. So if I had courage and, you know, more ambition, um, I, I, you know, I guess what I do like it, the right answer for anybody is going to be to give my gift. If I had more courage, I'd give my gift better. You know, and that would be the way I would, I could imagine doing that. Mm -hmm. 30 seconds, yeah. I think. Yeah, so there's <laughs> some great answer as well, Jeff. And so the last question in the rapid fire round is, if you could interview anyone living or dead, who would you interview and why? Oh, my. Um, dare I say Barbara Streisand? Uh, well. <laughs> Is I mean, that you know, Barbara, I, I, my name is Barbara that you refer to? Yeah, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of early Barbara. I'm a fan of Barbara from 1960s and 70s, and then I sort of lost it. Uh, but um, oh, I was just going to say um, the one that I would interview would be, um, you know, I would say like Elon Musk or something. But uh, you know, I, 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 you know, Walter Isaacson has done it. <laughs> I don't really have any much more to ask. So anyway, I can't, um, we're going to pass on that one for now. <laughs> if it comes to you later, then uh, then just share it with us. And Barbara mm -hmm. Streisand's a good answer but, as well. There we go. That's a good answer. Because I, you know, I would ask her, you know, how does it feel to be you? And she, she answers that in the book over and over again. She said, nothing special. That's her thing. And it's like, I think that's the right answer. She says, I forget, I'm in an elevator and somebody's staring at me and I think, oh yeah, I'm this Barbara Streisand thing, you know. But otherwise she's walking around like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, she has this genius. There's, she's a perfect example of the difference between excellence and genius. There's excellence that everybody recognizes and it's a wonderful thing and it makes the world go round. Then every so often, there's a genius that just spikes into a new territory. So she could do that by having this insight that she could act songs, but they had to be great songs. They had to have a, actually a message. And she had instincts for that as a teenager. And then she had the Stradivarius of a voice that transmitted that. And she acted these songs. And it, it became the thing that nobody could resist. You know, she went from this achievement to this achievement to Time Magazine at age 20 to, you know, her career. That wasn't the thing she valued. The thing she valued was she wanted to be an actress. And I give her credit that she's an excellent actress. In the right role, she's a great actress. But she's not an actress like a Meryl Streep is an actress. There's she To me, her roles she chose were, um, you know, she went into another direction you can't argue with because she became even bigger and more popular. But she lost me because she... Um, she wasn't paying as much attention to this, uh, you know, other thing that I was loving and 
yeah. So anyway, that's the short story of Barbara. And let me just say that there's a, a very important epilogue. And that is that in reading her or listening to her book, when she's reading it herself, which is a screen, she's so good. Um, I really have come to appreciate this other parts of her career and her um, passion for these, for being a director and being an actress where to me, she didn't have quite the gift. So there we go. All right. A critique. Yeah. Well, very good. So that was actually the end of our, uh, what we thought would be like a rapid fire round of 30 second answers. <laughs> I think we took a lot more time than that, which is totally <laughs> fine. And so, yeah we'll, 45 to, yeah, we'll move on to the next round of questions and you're free to answer them in any way that you want, 30 seconds or more. Um, so my, right. my, um, my next question is bringing you into, uh, to just share your thoughts a little bit about, you know, integral. It's, uh, you and I have known each other now 20 years through this thing that brought us together. Certainly, you know, we've worked at Interval Institute, we uh, did the Boulder Interval Center together, and what adventures we've had, right? And so we've seen this movement um, doing all kinds of things, growing, shrinking, I don't know, whatever it, it has, whatever that has happened. So I'm curious for you, what are the kinds of specific topics or trends that you see to be emerging within this integral movement, integral domain, the Lushi mm -hmm. place of integral? Um, what do you see as sort of some, how have you seen it evolving or devolving? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it doesn't matter however mm -hmm. you see it. What do you see for the integral world? And what do you want to see? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, such a good question. And, you know, I'd really love to hear what you have to say about it, too. Uh, but I'll start. Uh, the, um, you know, I, I, um, I think that there was an inner, there, there, there are stages and sort of almost ripples of the integral world in this larger stream of integral coming online into human consciousness, but by whatever name. Okay, so that just being post-postmodern, uh, multi-perspectival, um, you know, holarchical, you know, that that kind of thinking is coming online inevitably, and I see it happening all over the place. Um, so there's that. And that's what really is the most interesting to me. And part of it is, I think, my personality. Is you know I sort of rose to the occasion of being you know at, at you and I a part of an integral community, the center of an integral community here in Boulder for many years, and we had our church and we did our seminars and we worked with Ken in the early days of the Integral Institute. Um, I think that seeded s e e d e d a lot of what we see as integral flourishing in the world. And, you know, inter people who are sort of integrally informed, but didn't quite drink the Kool-Aid <laughs> like we did. Um, but I like the Kool-Aid. I'm pro-Kool-Aid. The, the aqua model and integral theory, uh, I've learned it from numerous sources, but mainly Ken, is uh, I, I still think is the best thing out there. So, um, I, and then you see the integral adjacent. And I think you know more about this than I do, Namali, because I think you pay more attention to it. But... 
there's the, you know, I always loved Peter Lindbergh, you know, to whatever degree I, you know, paid attention. And, you know, there's what you're doing, Lee, and what, you know, there's people who are doing different flavors of integral. And I think that's probably appropriate. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's almost like what we're what integral is in, in and of itself is that there's sort of new emergence and new ways that it's coming online. And then there's also an awareness that we actually want to go back to some of this face to face stuff, which is why I was so impressed with what you're talking about, Namali, and putting together a little meetup, you know, simple as that, where it's real flesh and blood. Um, and I think that I hope that happens. I think that's happening. You know, COVID always threw a wrench in that, but COVID also brought forth the virtual world in ways that would have probably taken a decade. So, you know, welcome to welcome to Integral, where you see, well, this was the bad part and this was the good part. <laughs> you know, what else can I say? <laughs> so where was I? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any sort of new, somewhat staying within the same question, and then I'll pass it on to you, Lee, for, for, for another question. Um, I'm curious if there are any teachers or you know certain people that that interest you more and you pay attention to them more because of some kind of a new integral new emergent idea uh, that you get from them mm -hmm. gosh i hate to say no i mean but <laughs> uh, you know I, I i talk to people i mean that's what i you know I have something that I would have thought would be have been an impossible paradise when I first started reading Ken Wilber by myself alone and nobody understood what I was talking about. I have people like you, like this moment, you and Lee. I have Steve McIntosh next door. You know, so I have people I talk to, and that's really so nourishing. Diane, you know, these are my dear friends uh, in the integral world. And so that I do, but do I read that? No, what I do read is um, I read people who, I read people on Twitter. Twitter becomes sort of my center for finding the information that I want. That's not the only thing, but it's the center in that, you know, welcome to the multiple perspectives, Jesus the Lord. Uh, and then you can see how they organize themselves into different arenas and so forth. And I see de facto integral. So I follow people who are challenging the generally postmodern, but also just modern, you know, just this modernity. We're going to look back at modernity and say, yeah, it brought forth the spectacular, tangible results. But boy, did we pay for it yeah. in terms of spiritual and, um, you know, sort of the, the stuff that is pre-modern, why people don't want to enter modernity, you know. Why 50 plus percent of the people in the planet haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, so we're, <laughs> we're yeah. for those of us who have been in this integral world for, for a while, but also lots of new, you know, I find new people joining these ILP sessions and stuff all the time as well, who haven't been in this for so long. Um, is there a message that you would give to the integral world in general? Yeah, keep it in world. Operationalize it. Uh, you know, work with it in your life. You do integral practice, which is basically perspective taking. Mm -hmm. And th that's either an appealing thing or it isn't. But 
when it is, nurture it. That's sort of one of the markers, or maybe the marker. Um, and I, uh, I'm thrilled to hear that um, you know, anytime that integral, self-identified integral people can uh, uh, get with each other, and God, the virtual world is such an opportunity. You know, then I'm all for it, yeah. and I join in a lot. You know, I do my shows and drop in on this and that. Uh, it's it's wonderful. And you're, Namali, one of the, you know, real centers of the spokes. And uh, I just want to appreciate you. And uh, you definitely have helped keep me in the game to the degree that I am. It's, you know, so I have a personal appreciation. Well, thank you. Thanks, yeah, and on behalf of the integral movement, which still is alive and has a lot of juice to it. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. More good news in, in that regard is that uh, I've also been speaking with Corey about doing some community conversations with the integral uh, integral life community and just to see whether we can create more local holons across the world. So I uh, this summer, I also organized something in Amsterdam and we had some people coming over from uh, the UK and from Norway so um so things are things are happening and it's yeah it's very nice to to get to meet people in in the flesh as you said and um yeah. okay. and there's also somebody who wants to perhaps try to create an integral organization because of course integral life is is a business and there's not really an integral organization which can connect for instance with academic institutions etc so i'm curious to see whether that might have some legs whether there might be a consolidation of the integral project in a particular direction. Yeah, me too. You know, if you think of just a karmic historic force for some of the things that we've mapped out and talk about, you know, multi-perspectivalism and whole argument, um, that that's got to find lots of different ways of cohering into the culture, you know. And um, one of them, you know, has to be person to person, you know, and face to face. And um, and we did it in Amali, you know, we had how, how, you know, we often had 30, 40, 100 people in those rooms um, doing our five day seminars. And uh, that was precious times. I, I feel like that has been very significant. I'm going to take, you know, I'm not actually, I don't care about taking credit for it, but I'm just going to notice that that has to have been a very significant um, um, development uh, of, um, you know, when we look back at the history of integral theory, and I think we will. Mm -hmm. So um, I think people should start carving our face into statues. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And just, just to also <laughs> super quickly mention the, the in-person gathering that that you brought up a little while ago, Jeff, that I've organized for anyone who might be listening to this. If you live in the Boulder, Denver general area, um, we meet at the Boulder Public Library from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. every first and third Sundays. So I'll just make a little note of that. So if someone wants to join us, please do. Yeah, that's a good point, Namali. Cool. I've also had some people respond to the uh, videos that we've been putting out so far and asking whether there are integral gatherings locally where they live. So if if you're watching this and you're also interested in getting together with some integrally informed people wherever you are, then send us a, an email 
that's info at practicalintegral.com. And then we know of some people across the globe organizing local holons. It's not it's not everywhere, but uh, but if we know of some somewhere and uh, that's appropriate to you, then we can share that. So, um, so the whole integral uh, uh, brings us now into the uh, next question, and that is at the beginning of the rapid fire round, we asked you about three most intriguing news stories that you'd uh, experienced during uh, uh, 2023 from an integral perspective. And, and now we want to come back to that in greater depth. So you spoke already about, of course, the Israel-Hamas uh, conflict. You spoke about Russia-Ukraine. Perhaps can you sort of pinpoint and go into some depth around the three, for you, most significant stories in the news from 2023 from an integral perspective? And, and perhaps we should have noted this down because uh, I remember the one other was the economy. You mentioned something about the economy. Then you mentioned the sort of the war uh, story in general, whether it's Russia, Ukraine or Israel, Hamas. The third point I'm actually forgetting right now. I don't know if either one of you remember. I think it was a teenage depression. Ah, yes. Or what, Got it. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. The, the, so if we're just using integral theory, Right. So the world continues to evolve any given year. Who knows what's going to happen? But yet we can see these larger trends. And one of the things that I, I'm sort of ready to uh, lock in some sort of understanding that modernity has made an amazing. Um, it, it has a stable, reliable way of creating wealth. So, you know, it's not everywhere, but that it's like this is the first paragraph. I went to The Economist and this is The Economist magazine. And this is the world of the modern, postmodern, you know, intelligentsia business world. Uh, and this is their new lead story. Almost everyone expected a global recession in 2023 as central bankers fought high inflation. They were wrong. Global GDP has probably grown by 3%, which is pretty remarkable. Job markets have held up. Inflation is way down. Stock market's up 20%. And then, you know, in the U.S. at least, major gains have happened at the lower levels of the working. So it's like the rich are getting richer, but the poor are getting richer faster. And, and then they talked about the growth of the economies in each country. And the number one economy was Greece. Greece, who had the, you know, whatever meltdown that it had. And it just another in a long line of secession of like Iceland melted down. Now it's one of the top economies. Ireland melted down. Now it's, so once a country gets engaged in this modern system, I think it's pretty amazing that uh, we just keep sailing along. I, you know, I, will some, you know, economic asteroid hit? I don't know. I think we there, there might be something we could take some reliable faith in. You know, modernity—it's well, not like it's a new thing. It's mature. People of e economists, you know, the, and then not to mention what we're going to know from uh, AI in terms of you know just finding patterns because that's what it is. Finding you know what happens when we do this, and and then you can never quite factor in animal spirits, but you can at least know that you don't know what the animal spirits are. And that's something the economists didn't used to know. You know, they didn't know what they didn't know. Uh, so anyway, I just I, I just think there's something to be said for that. 
Yes, certainly. I, I recently heard someone speak about how the economy is basically structured structured around infinite growth in the sense that uh, money needs to keep coming in because the uh, current system is based on loans which are given out and there's not enough money in the economy to cover all of the uh, loans, basically. So the only way forward is to keep generating um, uh, to give out yep. more loans, etc. I'm, I'm not completely clear on on the on the specifics, but it does seem to be the case that the economy as a system will need to be overhauled in a structural way at some point in the future. But uh, to what yep. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Noticing that we have reached a level of reliable creation of wealth is by no means saying this is the optimum system. Uh, probably the optimum system for now, or at least one of them. I mean, it's or at least it's it's a way of noticing what is the going on in terms of where we are in terms of our development. But it's very much a modern system, and that's why I, you know talk about sort of this perfection of modernity that's happening. Uh, but it's not a postmodern system. A postmodern system is egalitarian, environmentally conscious. I mean, right there, there's two strikes against modernity. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, in the sense that modernity created wealth, wealthy people, you know, before we, you know, unless you were the king or queen, we had equality and poverty. That was, you know, the kind of equality we had pre-modern. But yeah, no, there's there's a move in the culture and continues to be. This is something I think we could notice, even with the um, what's happening with what's happening with the youth. Is that, you know, there is support for capitalism is very much, you know, that that's would be, it's almost obscene or certainly passe. Uh, and, um, and just sort of a natural egalitarianism that I think will be what we do install over time. I think it's happening. Uh, and there'll probably be some, um, you know, I don't know what the integration will be of, you know, this power of wealth creation that modernity and capitalism brings and basically the distribution of the wealth after that, you know, because there's just an ever increasing moral intuition, like in the United States, that it's just not okay to have uh, subcultures of poor people who are just, or that, or disparities, racial disparities in net worth, you know, those kinds of things become morally untenable and are, you know, and increasingly so. And then just the general um, sort of a realization of, of the youth, uh, and this is the, sort of the upside of green, uh, you know, the downside being sort of a hopeless depression, but also an understanding of, um, well, per, first of all, the whole psychological world. Uh, so, you know, a lot of ways, it's just that they're aware of more stuff of what it means to be human. But also just this, that it's not okay for there to be violence, oppression. I feel that myself, you know, with, I look at Israel and Gaza and I think, oh, fuck, stop it. Just fucking stop it, you know? And that's green. It's just like, it's almost a little magical. I mean, I, but I don't want to think about the geopolitical, the, fuck it, stop it. And there is something, you know, with a critical mass of people have that, I think that's you know, kind of a green thing. It's just a revulsion at all of it, uh, that that's good. You know, that there will be, that'll somehow be reflected in the politics. And we're coming to that. We're, we're, we'll just be 
it's just not okay to allow or have this stuff happen and we'll be better at figuring it out. And because it is talk about a wicked problem and a problem of development, you know, where we have, you know, a, a traditional culture versus a modern culture. And then a, it's a modern culture with a uniquely large traditional and red, you know, the sort of settler God gave us this, you know, it's as, it's as, you know, red as the, you know, Muslim fundamental, it's fundamentalism on both sides. Now, higher percentage of it on the Muslim side than the Jewish side, but what a mess. Um, but it's funny, messes. You know, they get bad enough, people figure them out. And and, and I don't know, especially, I don't know. This is where I'm, I'm kind of like, okay with, I used to feel like I had to know what was going to happen. <laughs> but I guess you get your head beat up against that wall enough times you realize you're not going to know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see. And it's interesting to see how the youth are magnetized. And also, this is, you know, woke green. Uh, and it's maybe, you know, of course, it has its fanatics and excesses. But just the natural identification with the oppressed over the, the so-called oppressor, that just uh, in the power dynamics, naturally going for the less powerful, that feels like that's new in human history. And, you know, and it, it'll be more intelligently operationalized as humanity continues to evolve. Okay. Is my yeah. prediction. That, yeah. That's not the did make a prediction. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe yeah. what you said can. Oh, go ahead, Lee. I think were you going to say I, something? I was just going to wondering whether Jeff wanted to go into the teenage uh, depression or, or do we want to uh, pivot away? Well, the, the, the only the other, I, if I, I haven't said it already, I do think that there is, you know, as we continue to evolve, we're aware of dimensions of, of, of our own interior reality that we weren't aware of. We just get to be, you know, uh, that comes online in a way. So, um, so I think there's that to be said. And there's also something to be said for, of course, you know, the standard explanation that social media and the influences of social media. And I think that's all, you know, that's all completely legitimate. People are absorbed in, in you know, finding people who think like them and young people are, you know, uh, but young people are supposed to be dissatisfied. That's their job. <laughs> They're supposed to sort of mystify and outrage their elders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're doing that. Um, so, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, we can be a little more sort of friendly to the whole thing and uh, always uh, sort of have this understanding that history is brought forward. History moves on the backs of fanatics, but there's great gifts and there's new things. And we have to differentiate between the two and, you know, sort of work, work it out. And I think we are. This is what I was talking about earlier about Elon Musk and Twitter. That maybe the biggest surprise or the biggest Elon Musk should be the person of the year on Time Magazine. Let's just put it that way because he has changed the what the Overton window. I often hear people talk about the Overton window as being the sort of what's socially acceptable to talk about, and that that has broadened, and that's a good thing. It's part of how the, the differentiation between what's good about postmodernity and woke and multiculturalism, environmentalism, and all of the stuff that comes with that, that versus the 
fanatic ideas around it. And I think people are, um, we need an arena to do that. It's, it's actually, uh, and I think we'll get better at that kind of ideological play as we start seeing ideologies as objects and not just subjects. And we become sort of post-ideological in a certain kind of way where we're able to accommodate more than a couple, more than one. And this, there's a natural wisdom that arises out of that, Very cool. I think. Well, we are yeah. running down our list of questions and maybe we just have just a few more. Um, so my next question okay. is, um, it's about the Daily Evolver and Jeff Salzman in general. Um, and I've known you for so long and you've been doing the Daily Evolver for so long. And one of the common feedback that I hear over and over again about the Daily Evolver um, is that for some of us, it feels like a fresh breath of air um, because of some of the things that you already spoke about around integral being an excellent map for us to use. Uh, and especially in the way that you use it and you present it um, in speaking about politics or culture or all the things that can easily bring us down the integral lens can actually provide something um, something far better than what's the word you used uh, marinating i think in the <laughs> negativity that is so around us often so i often hear this about you and the daily evolver about it actually providing a very optimistic view about the world mm -hmm. about uh, the, the world at large um, and the other feedback, much less so than that, that I have also heard is that Jeff Salzman and integral theory and the daily evolver can also be just too positive, too optimistic when mm -hmm. the world feels like it's burning. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's a lot of turmoil. And mm -hmm. so this, this feedback also led me to having a, an ILP session recently around this issue of optimism, or are we overly optimistic in the integral world? I'm curious how you feel about this little complaint that also comes targeted at the Daily Evolver and you. So from a more personal mm -hmm. perspective, not so much as a general integral optimism, but I'm curious to hear from you, from your own personal view around this feedback. Mm -hmm. Does it make yeah. sense to you? Thank and you for that last part where you, because I could argue this and that, but for my own personal yes. feel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I also, in this moment, want to double down on optimism. I mean, <laughs> you know I, I, mean? I told that to Lee. I told that to Lee earlier. I told Lee that if I ask Did Jeff really? this question, he might actually double down on the optimism. That is like, if anybody else wants to do the negativity thing, then they can. But I'm wondering how you might be able to steal yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get, I mean, this, I think this is part of the sort of paradox of, you know, and, and I, often use this example as, is it progress for a sweet, open-minded, bright-eyed 11-year-old to turn into a surly, you know, uh, depressed 13 or 14-year-old? Doesn't look like it, but it is, you know, in the, in the sense that they've grown. So uh, gr growing is not pretty, uh, but it, it's built into the cosmos. 
it's built into each of us and it's built into the culture and you know the cosmos at large so that's the part that's optimistic is that we are growing and and i do think that there's uh, an argument to be made philosophically that we're growing towards these gravitational values pulls of goodness, truth, and beauty. That you have to say that the world is more beautiful. If you're not going to say that the world is more beautiful because human beings are in it, uh, and that maybe the world would be more beautiful without human beings, then that's that's I'm not on that team. You know mm-hmm. that that you know there is life does want to become more complex more expressive more related more intelligent more loving and that's the part where it it starts not feeling so much about optimism as about faith yeah. you know it's just that just faith in the system knowing that there's going to be things that certainly aren't going to look like progress at the time uh that are regressions indeed that are eruptions of these earlier energetics that we haven't properly integrated, you know, in our cultures and in our personal lives. And that any given, you know, any given time, you know, there is the sort of just being the suffering of being, what Ken used to call it, the self-contraction mm-hmm. of just being a human in a world where there's some part of you that longs to just dissolve into the all. And that you know, so so I don't know. Is that optimism? <laughs> is that optimistic enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, you know, I but I do want to. You know, I don't want to just that we're living in. You know, our our greatest good is to sit with the suffering of the ever darkening world. I don't want the ever darkening world is not going to be my thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. why I always love Trumpa and the you know Naropa and the the great eastern sun, the sun that's rising. You know. Yes, and so. he all and one and it's so funny. We he said about the great eastern sun, and he also said sitting in the fire. Oh, totally, absolutely. Yeah. Sitting yes. in the fire. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. So both, right? Yeah. No. Just, yes. just, just because it's I think worthwhile talking as as cinematologists in general. Now I'm kind of generalizing a little bit, not so much just about you. Um, one of the things that I did end up doing, so I run this thing called the Polarity Lab um, on occasion where we we talk about polarizing topics that can be viewed as polarities uh, instead of polarizing, looking at it uh, as polarities that are helpful and interdependent, Um, often looking like they're tensions, but they're actually necessary for each other. So, my take on this complaint that gets charged at Enogol is probably that Enogol really does offer a map that is very positive. It, it sort of gives a very rational, clear understanding sometimes about why things are the way they are and that there's a rightful place for how things show up in the moment or why the trajectory of something could be this that it's actually heading towards greater emergence and um lesser and lesser degrees of violence or you know as more and more people step into postmodernity and above perhaps there is a, a some research to show that indeed that's going to happen that there will be less and less violence or um whatever all the bad things but I think that 
some, the way that I would look at it as a polarity is that sometimes maybe we need to not so much look at this at, from a developmental view while holding the developmental view as ever more positive or ever getting better. Um, we could also look at sort of first year and second year as a polarity. So when we just focus and take the second tier view, which is what often integralists tend to do, is there's a lot of good in doing that, that we get to see more hope and we get to see more um, the evolutionary trajectory and how things might get better, um, how there is more nuance, how there is more discernment. We can do all that with, sec with when we focus on second tier. But if we only focus on second tier and its capacities, then I think what we're failing to neglect is to see the ways in which first year embraces struggle or or is even focused on on struggle and by focusing on struggle it's really as we know the world thus far it's first year that has come up with most of the solutions also you know it's science and technology and um but it like the beauty of amber blue traditional community and finding a sense of belonging for loneliness uh, or the the value of community the value of the magical enchanted purple way of giving the struggle a break is also a beauty that comes from first year so when we focus on first year only to the neglect of second year opportunity then i think we get sucked into the negativity but if we also focus only on the second tier optimism, then we can neglect to pay attention to the ways in which so much of the world is that first tier, and we do have to honor the turmoil that is within that as well. So I think that's what sometimes integral forgets to do, and then it looks and feels a little bit like it's dismissive or negligent of the hurt. Yep and the pain and the real struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and Amali, you were saying something about your own temperament as a type four in relation to that you enjoy the tragedy. And so mm. I think that's also perhaps interesting f framing here yeah. well, because yeah. it seems as if there are temperamental differences also. Yeah, it's very much, I think, uh, like a typology could explain some of this also. Enobolis, there are there are a lot of Enneagram fives Enneagram nines, uh, especially in, in the integral space. Um, and they're all, you know, a little bit more positive thinking or more competency oriented. Um, whereas the feelers like Enneagrams twos, threes, and fours, especially twos and three, uh, twos and fours, and perhaps also to some degree type six and eight, this is I'm speaking about the Enneagram, just in a very lighthearted way. We may be more um, attuned to emotional intensity. And that is the way in which some of us might navigate the world and be more attracted to where there is emotional intensity. And that's scary for some of the other types, like types five, type fives, for example, have a fear of that type of emotional intensity. And so a type five or a type one or type nine, um, uh, or sometimes even a type three or a seven might want to rather keep all that emotional intensity at bay, keep, you know, 
let's put it under the rug for a little bit. And if you really want to deal with it, we'll bring it up. And I think for, for others of us, there's more juice in the emotional intensity. And without it, life can feel like a cardboard box. Uh, or it can feel empty of any richness that humanity deserves, uh, that humanity is all about. Like the, the, that's where the poetry comes from. I mean, someone needs to be heartbroken to write the most incredible poem. Uh, somebody needs to be, uh, you know, sitting in the fire, the other side of the great eastern sun, right? To to be able to sit in the fire, that that is also what awakens the pull and the tug of love as eros pulling us up and being wanted to wanting to offer ourselves to be pulled up in that way and also to be touched and broken enough to want to come back down fully in that world of agape to to touch the leper as ken would say you know to touch the wounds of the leper and not run away from that that's the bodhisattva that is wow, you know, has made a promise, a deep vow to keep coming back, to keep coming back, to keep coming back, no matter what. So I think that integral can do both and, and be be vocal and active in both. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Yeah, and thank you uh for bringing that, you know, for your Enneagram you know bringing that piece to the party mm-hmm. you know and um and i recognize that in myself you know it's a far flicker of a flame <laughs> but i do recognize it you know i mean it's wonderful to be with people and to know it who have genius and capacity that we don't isn't that great i mean it's one yeah. of the great things about the enneagram is that yeah. we actually appreciate each other instead yeah. of like what the fuck yeah, and and how wonderful that as integralists we get to appreciate things like the enneagram instead of sort of bashing it, which happens a lot. So, the oh. the way in which here's what's most optimistic and beautiful about integral is that everything is partially true. <laughs> you know, yeah. everything is ultimately exactly. only partially true. <laughs> yeah. right. So anyway, yeah, let's yeah. let's maybe just uh, ask the last two questions and we can be quick and maybe move on. Yeah. So, Jeff, in 2023, what has stood out to you in art? So in books, in movies, in theater, in uh, television, anything? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly as, as a cultural critic, and I don't mean that necessarily in always looking for the bad stuff, just, you know, analyzing it. You can definitely see, again, the, the sort of mass movement to green, multicultural, uh most of the st- stories that are um, you you see in the media, uh, like Netflix shows and that sort of thing, they're going to have um, some stories going to have to be, or some part of the story is going to have to be about the oppressions and multiculturalism, and that is um, you know I noticed that, and 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 also just how interesting it is that every stage of development. T- tells history through their lens mm-hmm. so you know from a great perspective and that's where a lot of you know academics and you know writers and that sort of thing that's the lens they're going to have we want more multiculturalism and more egalitarianism 
And of course, a lot of times, you know, the, the bad guy's going to have to be a white Christian. You know, there, there's always a sort of that sort of a reverse hierarchy. There's there's that that's still happening. But also seeing that makes me see this other strata of entertainment that uh, it's particularly, you know, the entertainment I grew up with, where it was of this triumphalist progress of history and, you know, that, that has sort of a naive modern faith in development, civilization, and fighting savagery, and all of that stuff. So it, that's interesting. And it sort of, it's like Trump would talk about in the Mali, just how there's nothing solid to stand on. You know, it's all just all a moving kind of a thing. So we're seeing that in culture. And yet we're seeing, like I just saw a movie that I, I would say one of the best movies I've seen all year, Godzilla Minus One. I think it's called. And it's a new Godzilla movie. And it's from a Japanese director. And it's Japanese. It's Japanese made for Japanese people. And Godzilla's their monster. You know, Godzilla comes out of the nuclear thing and it's a whole thing. But of course, Godzilla became Hollywood and, you know, all the CGI. So this movie goes back to a minute. It uses some CGI, but it goes back to more um, old school kind of filmmaking. And it's interesting that one of the least interesting things about the movie is the monster. It's kind of a generic monster and stuff. It's cool and they do great things with it. And it's, it's you know, a monster movie, you have to have a monster that's fun. And it, and it is. But what's more, far more interesting is sort of this old school heroics of this character who he was a kamikaze pilot, but he lost his nerve at the last minute. And so he landed on an island and sort of lost face. And, and so he's trying to get it back. And, you know, it's, it's a critique of the honor system in Japan. And it's a self-critique. Every movie sort of is for a culture. You know, they're a way of shining the light in the mirror on a culture. And, and just all that comes, you just love this guy. It's so good at creating a character. And so, you know, in a, and, and it was not multicultural particularly. It was Japan. <laughs> Japan's not a particularly multicultural country, you know. Um, so, uh, so that was interesting. And, and there's just, you know, <laughs> it's like Jerry Brown, the governor of California said, California has more than a share of everything. It's like the media, there's just more than a share of everything now. And that's one thing I notice. Uh, and, um, you know, we're watching a, a show that's, again, it's almost as interesting to watch for, from this perspective of watch seeing the media expressing the a culture it's south korean it's called crashing down on you and it's this um i think eight or nine seasons multi-episodic and it's this girl boss kind of rich girl with paparazzi in south korea who paraglides into a storm and ends up in north korea where she's rescued by a north korean soldier so you know that's the basic setup and it's corny and it in a way that you know from a sophisticated point of view uh in a way but it's it's jap it's korean corny and that's interesting you know and and it turns out that the stars um became very popular the show became very popular and they married in real life and so it has that sort of subtext to it and it's just like what fun to enjoy that you know and then the one with um, 
called Fellow Travelers with Matt Bomer about the Red Scare and the homosexual purge from McCarthy in the 50s and then goes into AIDS. In, um, and again, it tells the history of, you know, sort of gay oppression, if you will. Um, and it's very good. It's really well written. And it's not, um, you know, it's not polemical in the sense that you feel like somebody's trying to send you a message. Uh, that's always an interesting thing, you know, to, how, how to work with all that. Um, but um, I did resist uh, Namali's invitation to go see Taylor Swift, the actual person of the year, Time Magazine. <laughs> did you go see that, Namali? If it's still oh, playing, really? I'll still try to catch it. I do think I need to see someone who managed to create an earthquake. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't really even know a lot of her music. I'll check in on it when it comes to the TV, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Namali recommended something to you, Jeff, and you recommended it to your uh, the viewers of Daily of the Daily Evolvers, and that was uh, un village français, the, the French village. So oh um, that was that was quite yeah, wonderful. The best. Yeah, and I really like the, the way French the... village. Everybody, don't even you know hesitate. It's Namali and I both said this, and I it's and I think we meant it. It's the best TV show we've ever seen. You yeah. know, or it's a series. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's up there for me, certainly in, in, in my top 10. Uh, and the reason yeah. is because it, it is morally ambiguous in the sense that it, it puts us as the viewer in the situation of the Second World War in a divided France. So the Vichy regime, which was collaborating with the Nazis and, and Free France, or Free France, which, which had been invaded and was uh, under Nazi control. And it just basically puts people in impossible situations all of the time and then lets the viewer stew in it. And uh, and in the final season, indeed, we sort of get to look back on that period from a more modern perspective and see how easy it is to judge people who had to navigate those circumstances and how impossible it is to understand history if you're coming from a position of moral superiority. So I, I thought it was very integral in the sense that it's, it teaches about taking an ideological perspective on historical events. Yeah, well, it's a great insight, Lee. I love that. And wasn't that an amazing last episode? Yeah. I mean, what an unexpected artistic leap that these people decided to make and how successful it was. I mean, in ways that I never expected. I figured they'd end the show. We know how it ended. The yeah. war was over and, you know, they figured it out. They muddled through. Uh, it's like it's the French telling their story of their French village and their way for their people. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very wonderful. I love movies and, and I, I think that we typically wait for late fall and winter for the best movies because we're heading towards the Academy Awards. So I'm looking forward to Maestro. I'm, I'm wondering what it's, there's a lot of talk about it. I think for yep. me, I was a little, I wanted to like more than I did the Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, no spoilers, please. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I, well, then I, I will just simply say I wanted to like it more than I did. It's still a good mm -hmm. movie. Though. It's still a good movie. Is it? Um, yeah. It's, it's good, yeah. I'm not saying great, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think we all, perhaps, well, at least you and I, Jeff, I think we want, we went to see Oppenheimer together, and I think also we wanted to like it more than we actually did. 
And yeah. I skipped the whole Barbie saga. I just couldn't get into it. Oh. Yeah. I think it's a cultural <laughs> thing. You know, when you grow up in Sri Lanka, uh, it's the time that I grew up and you have no idea who the hell Barbie is. So, so. <laughs> Really? Barbie had, you know, because it's big all over the world. I mean, you know, I yeah. guess not uh, everywhere. But, um, no, yeah not, yeah, not back in the day when I was a young girl growing up in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't a thing. It's probably yeah. more now. I think little girls growing up in Sri Lanka now probably have more Bobby. So, and the whole cultural yeah. piece it never really made it to. Um, I, in yeah, fact, well, I don't believe. Significant movie of 2023. And it'll be interesting to see how it's awarded uh, by the Academy Awards. But, um, yeah. oh, I'm know, sure they'll win some. Significant cultural event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see if I ever get around to watching it. I think some people are quite upset that I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think my, my sweetest, like a really sweet movie that I watched this year and I really loved it was called The Miracle Club. And it's Maggie Smith <laughs> and Kathy Bates. Um, and they're, uh, they both act as Irish women in a little Irish community and they go to France to to Lords to see the miracle of Mother Mary's statue that's over there. Yes. And what happens around that and how they leave, how they each went to the went for the traditional and sort of the pre-modern idea of a miracle. That's what they went there for. Because they each had some kind of breast cancer or you know something and they wanted a miracle to save them. But they walk away with a much more deeper uh, interpretation, a more newer way of seeing what a real miracle actually is. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I remember yeah. like that movie, The it's Miracle a... Club. Yeah. I wrote it down, I'll add it to our list. <laughs> and, and I think another movie that I really loved was Past Lives which was also a Korean couple, but living in Canada. It's, the movie starts in Korea, then moves to Toronto, and then comes to um, the US. And that was a very sweet uh -huh. movie as well. And I think it has received a few nominations uh, in the Golden Globes. Or How about you, Lee? Yeah, so apart from the, the French Village, I, I must say I did enjoy the Succession, even though it was it's extremely depressing in the way that it <laughs> depicts basically a never-ending cycle of greed and, uh, and and trying to undermine each other uh, within a particular family uh, situation. Um, but I thought it was well-written in the sense, to me, it, it's a critique of um, of the vacuousness of, uh, of let's say, nihilism and uh, a materialist view of reality and trying to maximize uh, profit at the expense of, of everything else in life. And... Um, and the degree to which that also influences all of the relationships that we have in life, if we're looking to one up uh, someone else, then of course we can't really be in a authentic relationship with people because then we're continuously scheming how to uh, um, get one over on, on the other person. And it was for me also just a critique of, of much of modern industrial societies where, where perhaps we don't have our eye on on the most valuable things and um and it was very well written very humorous and uh and i thought it was ended well which is for me something i don't see in many 
series and films, I don't see endings that are well written uh, unless they're based on books, for instance, because it's typically very difficult to to set up character developments and then to sort of arrive at a point where that's uh, where there's a payoff for, for the people uh, watching. But it was in succession, and I think also because the character developments were circular, so nobody developed. Everyone was sort of stagnant in their own pond of despair. And, 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 yeah, it was, it was quite... Uh, it's, it was quite, quite a watch. So, yeah, that's so interesting because I, you know, that's why I I tried several times. I tried, and I, I it I appreciated the writing. It's like you said. I mean, in terms of just an insult, fest, yeah. I mean, just the ways they humiliated each other over and over. They were good and entertaining, uh, and nobody grew. <laughs> or what? you're saying that you know, so so. So as an artistic statement, it is indeed a critique of that energetic, if you will. Probably nobody is 100% that way, although some exceptions. But uh, yeah, fine work of art. And I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that it is and, and maybe uh, not my thing at the moment, at least. Yeah. Right. I love Kieran Culkin, I have to say. You know, just his. Oh yes, he, he is very well suited for the role, also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great when you see that sort of transmission, you know, so so effectively. Well, maybe this is a good place for us to close. What a year it has been, twenty twenty three. Yeah. Any, any last minute, anything you want to share, Jeff, before we close? No, but just just how fun it was to talk with you about it, to just pause and take a look. You know, that's uh, you know, one of the things we want to remind ourselves to do. And the end of the year always is sort of like, yeah, you got to, to what would what, we do and what's next? Yeah. Oh, what's next? We that, There's a topic for you. I mean, the <laughs> next year. Oh, I yeah, was yeah, going yeah. to get, go deeper into the 2024 elections because I feel like Americans especially will have to like brace ourselves and have the seat belt on all yeah. the time. But yeah. uh, I decided, you yeah. know what, I think we're going to get enough of it next year and it's going to be scary. Yeah, let's and, not borrow it yeah, from the future. Let's not marinate. All, <laughs> let's not start oh. frying in it already. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to you. We'll come for like a little, little optimism check-in. For a sanity check-in next year, we'll we'll come back to you, uh, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jeff, for hanging out with us and for sharing with us what this year has been like for you, and a little bit of also yes. what we're looking forward to next year around it continuing to evolve and grow. And yeah, so thank you, thank you, Lee. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks, Namali. It's wonderful to speak with you. Again. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Namali, and thank you, everybody. We'll keep it going and, and check in later. All right. Bye-bye now.